Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, and we have one of the co-hosts with us today, Jeff Rutt. Say hello to the people, Jeff. Hey, people. (laughs) And we do have a special treat for you today. We have Dan Horner with us. He is one of the founding partners of True Homes in Charlotte, North Carolina. Before we started recording, I was quizzing him about the housing market. We've got two housing experts here and one not so much, but not so much as me. Uh, so I'll be getting out of the way for most of this conversation. But, uh, Dan, great to have you with us. Appreciate that, Jeff. And I look forward to uh, the conversation today. Well, before I get out of the way, I'll ask the easy question, which is tell us about growing up, what your family was like, where that was, if there's a faith component to it. Maybe just share a little about your early years. Sure. So I was uh, born and raised in the Midwest in a small town in Indiana. Pretty much a uh, blue-collar town, farm and factory was the core employers in our town. And so my dad, who was my stepdad, who adopted my brother and I, he and uh, his brother were small-town GM dealers. And they had a little uh, Pontiac uh, Buick dealership. And so grew up Kind of around that, everybody says, why didn't you get the car business? I said, because I grew up around the car business. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why Jeff Rutt's not a dairy farmer anymore. He grew up around the dairy farming business. Yes. It, my grandparents were dairy farmers. And, wow. And my mom said the, the best advice her mother, my grandmother gave her, she said to my mom, don't ever marry a dairyman. <laughs> Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, now I know why you guys are friends. Okay. So where did, where, yeah, where did you go? Uh, okay. Now what town was this in? I mean, somebody probably lives there that's listening. A small town called Crawfordsville, Indiana. Okay. And it's about an hour Northwest of Indianapolis. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a good home, stable home. We, we did not go to church. There was not a faith component um, that was present in growing up. Uh, it was really through my life journey. My parents ended up getting divorced um, in high, early in high school. Uh, during that time, a basketball coach uh, got me involved in FCA, uh, gave me my first Bible. And I just, honestly, I always had a sense of belief in God as a young boy. And uh, when I got to that season, uh, that's when I met Jesus. And I, I knew I had personal brokenness and and uh, and I began my journey with him, and then I went off to college. I went to Purdue University, and during that period of time, I really didn't live out my new young faith. We didn't have any real mentors in my life, um, and I met my wife in college. We got married, came out of college, and we uh, moved to Indianapolis, and I got into the home building business through a mentor of mine in uh, 1990. Uh, it was 1990 and I was going to say, I'm starting to age myself. I was like, Whoa, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Not to us. (laughs) Yeah. And my, my wife and I really began our, our shared uh, faith journey, uh, very much when we got married 
And uh, and it's just kind of been an amazing journey on several levels. So that's kind of where it began, small town in Indiana. And kind of through some family brokenness, uh, came to the Lord. And uh, he's been my hero ever since. That's awesome. And talk a little bit about, uh, so new new believer, at at least uh, young in your faith, you and your wife, and starting in the construction industry in uh, 1990. Uh, there was some interesting times. I think if you look back, uh, we were technically uh, officially in a recession, right about that 90, 91 uh, time frame. Uh, but talk about, you know, what, what was your, the beginning of your career? What did that look like? Well, like most careers, it was formed out of desperation. <laughs> Got to get a job. I was a newlywed and I had been in the uh, life science research uh, industry. I worked for a German firm right out of Purdue. I was in sales. And uh, quite frankly, I had uh, a lot of early success. And, uh, you know, I thought I was the, the man. I thought I could make stuff happen. And the Lord allowed me to get full of myself. And, and I went out and I thought that I could uh, start up a, a business with a guy. And uh, quite frankly, it just completely failed uh, over a six-month period. And my wife and I were getting married, and she said, uh, you need to make money. And so, and so a mentor of mine that I had worked for at that company had gotten into the new home industry through a friend of his. And his name was Lynn Jenkins. And Lynn said, hey, Dan, you need to come over and meet a guy named Bob Gill. And this is a funny story. Went over to a, a model home. I knew nothing about residential real estate. I, I didn't know how to sell things. And Bob was colorblind, and and I remember walking into Bob's office, and he had a a lime green and white striped shirt with a penguin on it. He had moth-colored pants, and he just didn't go at all with this outfit. And he was sitting, and behind his desk were just numerous plaques, salesman of the month, salesman of the year, salesman of the month. And uh, Bob slid over a check to me. Uh, and said, Hey, look at that. And I looked at it, it was quite a bit of money at that time. And, and he said, I've made that in the last two weeks. And I was like, I looked at the check. I looked at him. I looked at the plaques and I said, if this guy do it, yeah. do it. I think I got a shot. And, and so I went home to my wife and I told her it was pure straight commission, uh, you know, total commission. And she thought I was crazy and yet I wanted to do it. And I did. And that began my career in, in residential real estate. We were selling first-time buyer homes. I love that. Helping renters get into their first home, uh, empowering them uh, around how to financially do it, educating them how to do it. And we just built a, a really good product. And so I worked for that uh, private builder for four years. And the third year, they went public. And when they went public, everything went south. It just the culture, the culture changed. Everything became about orderly earnings. Uh, the pressure inside the business was extremely high. And, and that's where I kind of started to realize that I do not like the dynamics of a public uh, company environment. And then out of the blue, uh, a gentleman named Chuck Morgan, who was a small uh, private builder in the marketplace, contacted me. And uh, I had been referred to him from a mutual friend thought that maybe I could help his company in sales. And uh, I sat down with, with Chuck and he shared with me kind of a compelling vision about a unique business model that he was embracing out of 
uh, Texas that could really revolutionize the home building industry. And that synced up a lot with what I learned at Purdue University and it was very compelling. And, and so I, I, I shifted and I went to go work for uh, Chuck Morgan and, and CP Morgan and uh, January of 1995. So that's how I got started, but I was in yeah. sales. I was in sales working with first time buyers. Yeah. So let's journey along with your faith and your family. So uh, talk a little bit about, so this is 1995. What size was a CP Morgan at that time? Uh, just under 200 homes, about 200 homes a year, Jeff. Okay. And, and, and your family size. So I had my first child and uh, my daughter Morgan, and, uh, then we began to have our family during that season. We have, uh, today we have uh, two sons and one daughter. And so, yeah, you were a young family, all the things that, you know, anybody listening to this, who's got young kids, we were dealing with all of that. And, 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 and Jeff, I can say this, you know, having come out of a family of divorce and I, I had said also my birth father had left be right soon after I was, I was born. And so, uh, my dad who adopted my brother and I, and that was the divorce. So I had a deep conviction that I did not want to blow my marriage. And so faith, uh, was very much in the center of our, of our life. Uh, we, you know, we were in church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and we were, it was really a great anchoring process for myself. I made commitments and my wife allowed me to work hard. My wife made the decision. She had been a financial analyst at Eli Lilly. And when we had children, she decided, and we decided that she would stay home. And, uh, you know, I can say, you know, 30 years later, that's just been a tremendous blessing, uh, for our family. And, uh, but then I had to go out and get it done. And so she supported that. But, you know, Jeff, one of the things that, you know, really were part of that, we were in our church family, but I was, I was present. I would come home. I'd be home for meals. Uh, didn't miss kids events, kids activities, and wanted to be very much engaged in my children's life. But then, you know, really had to, you know, work hard, play hard and uh, with those kids. And so, yes, that was a great time. Young marrieds, you know, in a great, healthy Christian community. And it was just great, great time growing up together. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I know you have a lot of stories to share and we want to get to them. And uh, we also want to hear about some of the struggles along the way. Wait, maybe you didn't have any struggles along the way. <laughs> How long do we have to? How long do we have to do this podcast? <laughs> so let's fast forward, or let's let's journey through. Yeah. So started growing that that company started growing. So uh, take us to the next part of that journey of CP Morgan and your involvement in that over the next few years. Yeah, that's a, that's a great season. It's a great chapter. So you know, my wife Diane and I felt called to go there, and so I began in the first year. I was in sales, and I got promoted after 12 months to vice president of sales and marketing, got invited onto the executive team. And we really had a special team. It was unique. Every single person who was on that executive team uh, followed the Lord and were people of faith. And we went on an adventure. And the uh, business model that we embraced uh, was from a gentleman named Jack Robinson out of San Antonio, Texas. And Jack had achieved something that had never been done in our industry. Uh, in San Antonio, Texas at that time, uh, one out of every two homes built in San Antonio, Texas were built by Rayco Homes. 
And Jack had embraced a, a very unique operating model to drive out waste uh, in production and, and labor. And uh, it created a meaningful strategic advantage in the marketplace. And so we, we embraced that model wholeheartedly. And we went through exponential growth. We went from 200 homes a year uh, to nearly 2,400 homes a year in that market. Uh, had about a 25 to 30% market share. Uh, we outsold we outsold our competition 12 to 1 in velocity and it was it was great and it was fun and and we were all growing in our careers but we were meaningfully growing in our faith as well uh, you know we would gather every week you know, we would do a weekly bible study or a christian topic based book and and we were learning about leadership and 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 during that time um it was really where i got a a real vision that uh, an organization that's led by people who follow Jesus should be different. And uh, that has very much informed who we have become as, as Mark Boyce, my business partner, I began our company. But it really, the genesis of that was back at CP Morgan and uh, really wanting to do things differently and in and, and, and the way that we uh, work with people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I want to get to the stories uh, in the last five years, so we got to keep going. But before we leave that era, uh, share with the the audience the the, uh, the marketing uh, the the marketing piece that won national awards about Morehouse less money. Yeah, uh, I mean, you got to share the story about you showing up in the uh, I think it was the what kind of jacket was it? It was a it was, well, let's put it it wasn't a dark jacket. No, during that time, we we were just uh, it was it was we had a lot of a, a lot of success, and I was the VP of Sales and Marketing, and we had worked with a gentleman named Dave Miles out of uh, Denver, Colorado, and and we had done some very unique and kind of uh, new ways of branding as a home builder and a developer. And long story short, we ended up uh, receiving a lot of national recognition. And so the first year that we launched a major brand campaign that had a lot of success. Uh, we were invited to the National Association of Home Builders Awards, and uh, I had never gone. And so uh, we had finalized on several categories. And so I show up to this event uh, being a young, naive leader. And my friend Dave kind of set me up because I, I did not know until I got there and walked in in Las Vegas to realize that it was a black tie event. And I very much had a light-colored tan suit. And the funny thing was, we won so many awards that night, and it was just like it was it was so bad. I mean, I was sitting up, I walk up there, and I'm the one guy with a light colored suit and, and a suit where everybody's dressed up. But it was a lot of fun. But we we did it was it was interesting. But to kind of transition as part of that, I had the opportunity. I I was the VP of Sales and Marketing for about eight years, and then I got promoted to President and Chief Operating Officer. And as President Chief Operating Officer, uh, my charter was to expand our business outside the Indianapolis market and outside of Indiana, to diversify our geographic footprint, and to continue to grow the business. And as part of that, I got invited in with Chuck uh, Morgan to uh, focus on the family had a, a program uh, that was unique, uh, led by a guy named Mac McQuiston. And uh, Dr. Dobson's vision was that we as marketplace leaders have an incredible ministry platform that the Lord's given us. Uh, in many ways, we have the ability to influence 
uh, more people Monday through Friday than any pastor does just in an hour or two hours on Sunday. And so I entered into about a three-year journey of being part of that. But one of the convictions that I walked away from that experience was that we as um, Christian business leaders uh, can be very good at justifying and rationalizing away, uh, not really meaningfully running our businesses different than the world. And uh, there's a lot, I like to say, we all get A's in self-justification and rationalization. And so, but that conviction resided in me. And so in about 2006, it became clear to me that it was time to make a shift and a transition. And uh, my uh, current business partner, he also was at CP Morgan. Uh, he and I were the two senior executives that led that. I ran home building operations. He ran land. And and so we decided we were going to go on a shared adventure. We had a real sense of calling from the Lord to move ourselves and our families and some other people to the Carolinas. And we did. We uh, had a one-year transition, uh, non-compete. During that time, we went up and worked with a great home building company in Michigan called Allen Edwin Homes. And uh, we went up and we brought our business model and philosophies and and worked with that uh, organization for over 16 years. And, and they quickly became uh, uh, Michigan's biggest uh, builder, uh, implementing the same system we learned from Jack Robinson. And so, you know, we kind of had a lot of confidence and a lot of success and then we're kind of excited rolling into the Carolinas. And as Mike Tyson once said, everything's great until you get punched in the face. And so then we got a punch in the face right when we, we started True Homes. Yeah. So you said 16 years. Did you mean 16 months? No, no. I, we, oh. we went up there, worked on the ground with them. Uh, I was there every week for a year. But then we were basically uh, on their board and oh. advisors for the next 16 years. of their Okay. Career. Okay, simultaneously with starting your business, apparently. So, sorry, Dan, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back to that night in the cashmere suit in the black tie event. Uh, just share with our listeners the one radio ad that you won. Uh, I, I think a lot of the national awards for it. I think you're you're going to be better at telling that than I am. In the 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 Morehouse less money. Yes. So we really Dave Miles helped us really boil our brand down to a very compelling, simple concept was uh, CP Morgan, more square feet, less money. And that is what we did. We delivered more square feet for less money. Um, we we would deliver a home that would be a thousand square feet bigger than our competition. We had huge houses for the money. Well, a, a concept of an ad that we ran in radio was that won the national award was a phone call from a, a woman calling into the police department, 911, and she had lost her husband. And so it was very much kind of about that, you know, the sitcom level of, well, ma'am, so what's going on? And oh my gosh, I can't find my husband. Well, when was the last time you saw him? I saw him in the living room. Well, what do you mean you saw him in the living room? Where did he go? Well, I think he was going upstairs. Well, how did he get lost upstairs? She says, well, we've been looking everywhere. And he says, excuse me, ma'am, may I ask, do you happen to live in a CP Morgan home? And He's like, well, yes, I do. And he goes, okay. And then he's like, okay, 922, send out all the copters, send all the dogs, CP Morgan home, this man's lost. <laughs> so it was, it was great. It was, it was very, very funny. It was with a great campaign that Dave Miles helped us form. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. If, uh, Jeff, if we can get a copy of that, we're going to put that in the shared, we're going to put that in the show notes, uh, because that would be worth bringing back out That's of the It's great. It's really Yeah. So, so Dan, sorry about that. So back to your transition to the Carolinas. This is a huge move for you. 
move your family from Indianapolis, Michigan, and now you're you're in the Carolinas. What's that look like? Any so, uh, yeah, what's that? What's the journey look like? Any struggles along the way, or what's what's the uh, the path? Well, Mark Boyce and myself had uh, made the decision that we felt called to the Carolinas. We formed a team of other individuals that we knew, and we moved uh, some families from the Midwest. Uh, there were about five families that came out to the Carolina. And we had formed a partnership uh, with uh, our other partner named Dave Cuthbertson. And Dave is a land guy, and he had a very small home building operation. And Mark and I took that operation over. We became uh, partners, and that company name was Craft Homes. And we showed up August 13th of 2007, and we were the new individuals running and, and leading that company. And so we were going to implement our business model and we had raised all of our capital and we had the bank lines and we had said, Hey, we're going to scale this thing up. Uh, at the, the original vision was to go to about 600 homes a year over a three year period. And we were going to lose money for the first 18 months as we ramped up and made the investments to get there. And so we were off and running and on uh, January 1st of 2008, we changed the name from craft to true homes. And we launched a media campaign and uh, launched into the Charlotte marketplace. Uh, and what was interesting, Jeff, is at that time, C.P. Morgan was the largest builder in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, when I was the president, COO, we expanded and became the biggest builder in the Carolinas, I mean, in the Charlotte marketplace. So we knew we were going up against our old uh, uh, partners, and, and uh, that was fun, to be honest with you, and, and just do a little different angle. But what happened was, as we all know, this was our survival season. And I can say to you, and I can say to anybody listening to this, uh, we should not exist today. Our company should not exist. We are not, we are not smart enough. Uh, we don't have enough capital. We didn't have enough experience, even though we had all of those things, but we, we couldn't have faced it. And so when we were at CP Morgan, uh, we always had a great business discipline. Because as you know, Jeff, we're in a cyclical industry. Our industry goes through depressions. We don't go through recessions, right? And and so, I mean, the, the housing industry today is in a depression. We're over 20% down year over year. Well, we always had a discipline of preparing for the downturn. Jack Robinson taught us that out of Texas from the big crisis that they had back in the uh, early 90s, um, the 80s, early 90s. And so, if you would have told us that we would survive an 80% drop in volume and a 20% drop in sales prices, there's no way. That's impossible. You can't do that. And we had just launched this company. We'd moved families here. We were investing capital. And at 2008, the market dropped 50%. 2009, the market dropped 50%. 2010, the market dropped 50%. So three years ago, uh, 50% drop per year. And yet it was an amazing time. We, one of our, I mean, our four core values is, is defined as faith, life, people, and sustainability. Well, all of those were challenged right out of the gates. And we are thankful that the Lord called us to the Carolinas, but he didn't tell us what we were going to face. Because if he would have told us what we were going to face, we wouldn't have had enough faith to move here. And so what was great, I'll tell you, it was very, very um, 
crystallizing was when your bankers uh, tell you uh, about nine months after you started the business, it was May of 2008, that if we did not make a profit uh, starting that month, that they would pull our credit lines and we were done. Wow. So we pulled all of our associates. We had about 30 associates at that time, and we gathered in our lobby, and we told every single person the game. And then we said, here's what we know we got to do. For every one of us to have jobs, we have to sell six homes every week. We have to start six homes every week, and we have to close six homes every week. We don't do that four weeks in a row. Every one of us will not have a job. And it was amazingly, it was amazing because we like to say at True Homes, and it's out of Second Kings, that we dig our ditch every day and the Lord brings the rain. And it's the story of Israel when they got pulled out in the desert and they were fighting a battle and all of a sudden they realized, oh, we don't have any water. And they called the prophet in and he said, well, the Lord says start digging a ditch. And, and that's what they could do, right? That was what they could do. And so we would get up every day and we would dig our ditch. And uh, we have an other-centric culture. And we would look to the left and look to the right. So that's who we're fighting for. We're fighting for each other. We're fighting for our jobs. We're fighting for our families. And in that environment, nobody wanted to say, I didn't put in my best effort. And our values were being lived out every single day. And we had uh, the moments where uh, we had some successes, but we had a lot of moments that were like, no, it's over. And I remember it was in the uh, fourth quarter of 2008. I said to my wife, who was, as I like to say, a volunteer, because she was coming in and working for free. And uh, I said, uh, turn in any expense reports you've got, because uh, unless the Lord shows up in the next few weeks, this thing's done. We're not hitting the numbers. And I kid you not, we brought all of our executives over. We prayed together in a meaningful way. you know. And in all of this, we never prayed for success. We just prayed that we would be faithful to the calling that the Lord had given us. And, and I, people ask me today and they did at that time, like, Dan, how did you sleep at night? And I said, I actually slept very well because there was a morning that I just felt the Lord gave me an incredible sense of clarity and peace. And what it was, Jeff, it was, I knew the Lord had called us. So it's, this is his dream. This is his calling. And if he was choosing for us to not exist. No matter what I did, we would not exist because it would be his will. On the other side, if it's his will that we would exist, there was nothing that I would do that would ultimately prevent us from existing. And so I just needed to show up every day and dig my ditch. And, and we did. And, and Jeff, like any other good business person on this line, you would be a good steward. What would you do? And we did it. We tried to raise capital like crazy. I mean, we, every friend, every person we knew, anybody. Well, at that time, nobody was going to put any money into housing. It was collapsing, right? I mean, this was the great financial crisis. But what I came to realize was that the Lord said, I'll be your capital provider. And he just gave us enough manna. And all we had to do was make a dollar. And then what was amazing, like started to unfold during this time, was when we began this journey, we had nine communities. So when we took over Craft Homes in, uh, in August 13th of 2007, we had nine communities. We went out, and by the end of this thing, we controlled over 100 communities. Wow. 
And we went out to bankers and developers and said, listen, we want to be in this for the long haul. We'll work for nothing. We just need to make a dollar. And so we'll help you monetize your land. And if you will help us from the standpoint of giving us a fair price on land and, and give us capital so we can build specs, we'll just work for a dollar. And, and we did. And we said, but here's the deal is if, if, we, if we deliver when this market comes back, we want the option on that land, right? I mean, we, we helped you monetize and we want what's left over. And so that's, it was amazing. I like to say we're the Bubba Gump home building company, you know, from Fortress Gump when the storm came in and it wiped out all the other shrimp boats, but the Bubba Gump, went, that was us. And it was crazy. And so survival, I mean, it was the most creative time. You know, Jeff, you as a builder, you can appreciate this. We literally would come up with a new plan concept on Monday. It would be out the door on Friday. We were doing uh, guesstimates instead of estimates. And we were putting it in the marketplace and we were selling. If anybody walked in the door, our answer was, yes, we'll do it. And we just, we just did everything. So much creativity. And during that time, I like to say, I've never seen us come up with so many strategies that we deployed that failed, right? But, but we kept after it. And guess what? When you deploy a bunch of things that failed, guess what? Some things work. And we were working that others weren't doing. And so we had tremendous innovation. We had tremendous uh, teamwork. And we came out the other side of that uh, in 2011, which you know was the worst housing market ever. And a lot of builders who had hung in there or developers for three years just hung it up in 2011. It just, that was it. And so consequently, that was the only year. And what was crazy is during that whole period of time, we came to Charlotte. We thought we, I mean, it was the land of the giants. I mean, we were, you know, well, by this time in 2011, we were the largest builder in the marketplace. We were the only private builder in the United States to be number one in a top 20 market in the country. And we had no vision for ever being able to do that. That wasn't a goal. It's just the way things turned out. And so that's in that survival mode. And I could, I could talk about it for, I could tell you story after story, but it's amazing. And so I, here's what I want to say is I am so thankful that the Lord grounded us in deep dependency because it's created a deep sense of humility and thankfulness in our organization. So we should exist, but we do. We're now the largest builder in the Carolinas as far as private builders. And yet we want to be good stewards over what he has created. And so we don't hold it tightly, but we don't hold it loosely. We want to be good stewards over it. But I'm so thankful that that was the soil uh, that our organization uh, was grown up in. Wow. So thank you for sharing that, that part of the journey. And I think Jeff Thomas, if there's ever a, a guest that we need a second episode for, it might be Dan Horner here, but let's bring it fast forward, if you could, Dan, to, you have so much going on today. Talk a little bit about some of the awards you've won, some of the, some of the things that you do for your team and the, and the team, how the team works together, some of the things that you do philanthropically. Uh, I'd love for you to tell the story that you shared with me about the guy that stood up at his retirement party when he received his his gift but yeah take it from there so so we view i view that the lord has called us and placed us in the marketplace it's as consecrated of a calling as a pastor going to the pulpit 
And so, you know, when, when people come to our team, uh, new associates, we just did it two weeks ago, Mark and I tell them our values and we tell them the stories and, you know, our vision is to provide people the opportunity for more life. Uh, Mark and I penned that in 2006 and it's been amazing how that's unfolded Jeff. Our mission is to be uniquely exceptional in how we relate with our associates, our trade partners, our, uh, our clients, our community, and our stakeholders. And so we are very much a relationship-driven organization because we think the Lord's relational to the core. And we want to be exceptional in that. And so how do we do that, right? So um, we do have a real meaningful focus that our business should be different for every associate, regardless of their faith. They should benefit by being in an organization led by people who are following Jesus. And it should show up in practical ways. And so with that, we have an, a really amazing culture. I believe the way you create uh, this energy is through culture. It's the software of the organization. And the thing is, is culture, you know, the software doesn't cost you anything. It's just having the heart to want to go do it. And so there's a story that I, I'll share real quick uh, that I think helps depict what we're doing at, at, at True Home. And my goal would be, if there's anybody listening to this, that it would hopefully just give you a sense of, of, of confidence and courage to go and say, you know what, we can, we can run our businesses differently. And this is one of the secrets, I believe. So I read a book. It was on a lean manufacturing uh, principles and practices, which we embrace very much within our organization to deliver affordable home solutions. And they tell the story of this gentleman who had served the company for 25 years, and he was retiring. And it was a manufacturing environment. His team was around, and, and they were congratulating him. And he got the, the watch. And, and then they said, hey, you have a chance to, to speak. And so the story says that this gentleman said, well, I'm very thankful uh, to have worked here for 25 years. For the last 25 years, I've given the work and the labor of my and I've been thankful and I've been willing to do that. I, and it's been wonderful. He says, when asked what I thought, I shared my thinking. I, I shared what was on my mind. And I was glad to give it. He says, but in parting, what I would say is, if this organization would have asked for my heart, I would have given that too. But nobody ever asked. And so at True Homes, I think the thing we try to do, Jeff, is to steward individuals' hearts, is to get people's heads in the game, yes, to get their hands in the game, yes. But if you get the heart of an individual into your organization, we have experienced beautiful and wonderful things. The other thing that I want to share, I'm going to share some positive things only to encourage that I believe organizations that are led differently get much better results. Okay. So we, we don't do things to win awards. We really don't, but we've received some pretty cool recognition. And I share that to say to any and all, you know, Jesus loving Christ following business people in the marketplace that guess what? If we run things differently, we'll get amazing results. So an example would be in the city of Charlotte, it's, there's a, and many people on this uh, podcast actually may have participated. It's called Intergage. It's the largest employee survey that's done in the United States. And in Charlotte, our local newspaper does it. A lot of the papers do it all across the United States. It's called Intergage. Well, they do a survey of all different companies' employees. And, uh, and we have 
received the top award. Uh, it's never happened before in Charlotte for five years in a row. We've been rated the, not just the number top workplace, but the best place to work out of 6,000 companies that are less than 500 employees. We've been rated number one. Well, guess what? We're, we're not in a high, cool building. We, we, don't, we don't have concierge service down here. We don't have all the, you know, we don't have a beer cart rolling through here on Friday afternoons. We don't, we just, we genuinely have a great culture where we love people and we do a lot of really neat things to engage people's hearts. And so what you see here is people are into the culture of the organization that's very much about people. And so guess what? We have very low turnover. That's a huge benefit to the organization. We have industry-leading productivity per associate. So we've been able to scale our business with uh, minimal risk, and we're able to provide industry-leading rewards back to our associates because we share those productivity rewards back to every single person on the company. And so then they're getting incredible rewards at the same time. So they're getting top compensation while they're in an environment that they love being in, it causes them to want to be more productive, which then allows us to grow the business with minimal risk. And so that's an We also uh, went into a voluntary process, and Jeff, you're familiar with this in our industry. It's called the National Housing Quality Gold Awards. It, but it's a process. It's a, it, you know, it is to improve your business. And you volunteer to go into this. And this was about uh, 2016, 17, we started to talk about wanting to go through the NHQ process. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it they come in and they're going to evaluate you in over 250 areas of your business. And it's basically the Ma Malcolm Baldridge Award process for our industry. And we had become pretty good. I mean, we had grown in 2012. We decided to diversify our footprint outside of just Charlotte, where we'd become the biggest builder. And we went into other markets out around the Carolinas. And man, we were being stretched and we were growing. But man, we were having a lot of growth pains. But having scaled an organization in the past, we knew that would happen. But we knew we would strengthen the organization as we went through the scale. And that's what happened. And so we were strengthening the organization. And we wanted to go through this process to say, hey, we think we've become a good organization, but are we going to be a great organization? I'm a big believer in the book, Good to Great by Collins. And, and so NHQ came in and, and you have to submit a very rigorous application. And if they go through that and they want to come and, and, and evaluate your business. So they send industry experts into your business. And I like to say, it's like sending in a bunch of attorneys to say, hey, you say this is who you are, but now we have to see the evidence that that's who you are. And so out of that rigorous process, we were excited that they came back and they said, hey, we're going to give you the highest award in the industry, which is an NHQ gold. We're the only the third builder in the United States to have ever received that in our first application. Uh, we're only the second builder in the United States to ever receive it who, who submitted as a multiple market builder because most people just submit their best divisions, not their whole company. We did the entire company. And so... It was great for our people to get affirmation that at, from an operational standpoint and the health of an organization, we had achieved the highest levels in the industry. And I believe that's because we're a team that's led by people who follow Jesus, who love people, who build collaboration, who build deep uh, roots of, of commitment in our organization. And then what happened after that, which was really pretty cool, was that we, we viewed receiving that award 
not as a pinnacle. For many organizations, it's a pinnacle. They want to do it so they can put it on their website. They do it because they want to be able to use it for sales and marketing. We did it because we wanted to improve our business. And, and so on the backside, our leaders were like, I can't believe we won the award because we, we were just getting rolling. Like they had a great vision for operational excellence. Well, that was 2018. That was 2018. And then we all know we got into 2020 and the whole world changed. The whole world changed. And uh, we very much, uh, as an organization, built real commitments to each other. And uh, there are some great things that came out of COVID. Uh, as so many organizations, uh, have, you know, were both stress tested, but some amazing things came out of it. But what had happened during that time, we we had launched our foundation. So the True Homes, we have a foundation. The designated percentages of our profit goes into the foundation. And we launched that in 2009. And uh, we said, we're going to be committed from the very beginning. And we did. And so we really, really have focused on associate empowerment inside our organization. And we do things to, uh, uh, to really foster generosity. Uh, we match uh, four to one any uh, giving that our associates do to a non-for-profit of their choice. We match that four to one uh, on that. Uh, we also very much foster an environment to get our people to experience the joy of serving. And so we do a lot of what we call community compassion initiatives that we work on and our associates participate in at a high level. And so we, you know, we, we had built that, but we got into the George Floyd situation and we were like, you know, there was real strife in our community and how do we come together and the racial strife that was the pain in our community and, and, you know, in the church and the people of faith should just be involved in bringing solutions around that part of our community that. Uh, needs to be healed up. And so uh, we got some great advice some, from some great counselors. And they're like, you know, you guys are focused on the right things. There's four social determinants uh, that really can help people prosper. Affordable housing, education, good paying living wage jobs, and, and health and wellness, accessibility to health and wellness services. Well, guess what? We're, we're in housing. We can do something about that. We can give jobs. We can do something about that. Education, there's some things we can launch and, and make happen, and we already had through our foundation, and uh, we can be a catalyst to try to make sure people are getting into health and wellness services. And so we had launched, for example, scholarships and the first student chapter uh, in uh, NCANT, which is the largest historically black college in the United States. Uh, based here in the Carolinas. And uh, so we wanted to create pathways for individuals who wouldn't have thought about residential construction to discover the industry and the jobs and the great jobs that we have. And so uh, we went in and we began partnering uh, prior to uh, 2020 and built great relationships. And we formed their first NAHB student chapter and we began to do their project uh, management labs uh, we got them to create their first residential certification program, and then we partnered with their students to start building what we call Hero Homes uh, right in the back door of the college uh, to uh, provide homes for school teachers, social workers, nurses. 
and the students are participating in the construction and the building of those projects as part of their college experience. And our, our team has led that with them now for several years. And so we had built those. We provided scholarships for minorities and women uh, to uh, go to college uh, and get a residential program. So we've, we've done those type of things. But what had happened was during this time, we're like, okay, how can we even step in at a greater level and impact it? And so we had launched a program called Builders Bridge, which was a, a vocational initiative to go into uh, communities uh, that otherwise may not be thinking about getting into the professional trades, which provide real great living wage jobs. And uh, we are the br- we call the Builders Bridge. We're building the bridge into those opportunities. Uh, out of that, we decided to launch our own framing company. We've launched our own HVAC company. We're getting ready to launch our own plumbing company. And the reason we've launched those is to provide those job opportunities and control that onboarding process for our Builders Bridge students and interns. You know, in the last three weeks, we've had over 170 students, what we call an immersion program, that have gone out into our communities. They've uh, toured the homes, and we have tradespeople in those homes uh, showing them what they do and telling them how much money they make so they can capture a vision for a career path that leads to a living wage job, and they just necessarily don't have to go to college to go do that. And so we began to do that. But then the other thing we said is affordability, as we all know, from 2020 to 2022, the cost of a home went up exponentially, right? around 20, 25% increase year over year for two years in a row. Well, we already had an affordable housing crisis going on in the United States, and we already had an affordable housing crisis happening in Charlotte and our markets, and it only has gotten worse. And so at that time, we stepped back as, a, as an ownership group, and we said, you know, in, in 2019, the average sales price of our home was 265000 That is in the meat of what's called workforce housing. Okay, in the meat of it. Workforce housing is what's called 80% to 120% of the area median income. And that's always kind of what we've done. Well, starting in 2020 with COVID, it just, everything has shifted. And so we went from averaging 265,000 to 365,000. In my career, I've never had, in, in a six month period of time, our hard cost to build a home went up 50%. Never seen that ever, anything even like it in my entire career. And so we decided that we were going to basically tithe back to our community that at least 10% of our homes uh, would be uh, under $300,000, that they would be at an 80% or lower AMI. And we have a variety of initiatives that we've taken uh, to, to pull that off from homes that we make low margins to no margins to literally we're losing money to pull this off. And so our, our associates find a lot of goodwill in knowing that we're going out and, and doing things that, quite frankly, nobody else can do and is willing to do. And so for us, that's 250 to 300 homes a year back into our community at price points that, quite frankly, just aren't available anymore. I see. So we've done, we do a lot. Uh, and my point is, and this is a, I, I want to summarize it by saying this, Jeff. And I mean this very sincerely that many of us uh, who've got called into the marketplace, we have skills, we have gifts and abilities uh, to grow things. And with that can come a level of success. And I know this is very similar with your heart. I think that's why we're on this call. 
And, you know, yes, you, we can take our profits and we can give those away and we need to be generous. And, and I know that's what we do. But there's the power of our business platform that is available to so many of us to think about how can we use our business, the platform the Lord's given us, to create jobs for people that wouldn't have those jobs, to introduce people to the industry that you're in that people may not be aware of that industry. I've got a good friend. Uh, he's a he's a very successful black financial uh, entrepreneur and leader in banking. And he's like, you know what? In the United States, less than 1% of the people who are in wealth management are from the black African-American community. And he said, and he goes, and he said, and there's so many opportunities, but these kids don't know these jobs are available. So he went out and started a non-for-profit called Dime. He's in the school showing kids all the amazing paths that they can get into the financial industry. And guess what? That's going to cost you know, kids that would have never seen that to get into that business. So it's just getting creative around the business platform the Lord's given us and thinking how we can use that, not just to give money, although we should be giving money, but to use it to go into our community and do things, quite frankly, that just, you know, many non-for-profits can't do, governments can't do, and many of our churches can't. Well, Dan, the the word that I'm getting is intentional. Uh, I, I wrote, you know, with your family, you've been very intentional. With your business, you're clearly being very intentional. And then with your community, you're thinking really deeply about how your business and position are uniquely placed by God to help other people. And so that, that intentionality is, uh, is really amazing. And then I think the other thing about it being in the crisis where you just focused on the next thing you could do as a team. And you're literally like, I was picturing you in a foxhole, like digging a hole with other people in the mud. Uh, and you know, and, and it's up to God to win the war. Uh, and, uh, so I think about obedience over outcome and then the, you know, Dan, I think there's so much in this story for people to learn from. But, you know, as we talked about before we started recording, we always try to leave everybody, you know, somebody's on the treadmill, listen to this. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe they're a fledgling uh, uh, builder somewhere. Uh, maybe they're uh, in a different business and, and just God's working on them about how they're supposed to use their platform uh, a little more intentionally. What's just a practical tip you could leave with them on something they can do tomorrow to take a step in the right direction? That's a great, that's a great question. You know, I, I would say in so many areas, it, it really begins with a vision for people. It's a vision for people and thinking about how can we positively impact people's lives? How can we position people to prosper. And I believe if we, if you step back and say, and these are two kind of focus areas, one is because I follow Jesus, my business should be different. But you say, well, how is my business different? I think in many ways it can just come down to how, how can you provide a culture where people will thrive? Where people says, I'm giving you my hands, I'm giving you my head, but I want to give you my heart. And there are so many articles being written today about as society is breaking down in many areas, people are looking to their employers to provide purpose. Mm -hmm. And, and if we can connect 
uh, uh, employees and leaders' hearts within our organization to purpose, to a sense of purpose. That is a incredible, powerful thing. And number two is, I believe the other thing that anybody can be looking at is because God's called you and called me to the marketplace, our community that we live in, the city, the town we live in should be different. And think about how can you use your platform to make your town, your city, uh, your, your community better and use the skills that God's given us. I mean, as, as business people, we're action oriented as business people. We know how to set a, a strategic plan in place. We know how to allocate resources. We need to, we know how to organize and get things done. And so I think it's a lot of times we think we have to do something different than what we're doing. I would just say, just refocus it, focus it into the people that the Lord's given you inside your, it doesn't matter how big your company is. You can have a team of five. I've got a friend who's a chiropractor, he's a man of faith. I said, those people should be like just thriving within the environment that you provide them. We have 417 employees today and we are, are working to create an environment where people will thrive as best we can. I love that. Just think simply. I think even though you have a big company, Thinking, you think actually pretty clearly and simply about how do I use this platform internally to bless the employees and then externally to bless our, you know, bless our community with our unique seat. And everybody has a unique seat, whether you have five people as the chiropractor or 417 as a home builder. So thank yeah. you so much, uh, Dan, for sharing your story with us today. Jeff Rutt, thank you for being with us uh, today as well. Say, uh, if I could just say one more thing before you close. So thank you, Dan. Uh, one thing that strikes me about your story is that you have responded well to crisis. You have responded well to responsibility. Uh, I, I do believe that God gives us responsibility. And sometimes we as leaders in the marketplace don't take on that responsibility to steward well the hands, the minds, and the hearts of our team members. And if we do that well, uh, we also bless our community. It's not up to the government. You know, we can we can rail on all the you know the bad things and the, the gaps and weaknesses of the government, but we need to take on that responsibility of of stewarding well the hands, minds, and hearts of our team members and our own hands, minds, and hearts uh, to bless our community. And you have done that so well. Uh, thank you for for joining today. Uh, we definitely need to have Dan back, Jeff. Uh, but I'll let I'll let you uh, close us out here. All right. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a great time. All right. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on, a, on this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. Uh, leave us your likes and reviews, and uh, we will see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.